Glad you're here for our next installment of The Grudge as we work through what it means to have a grudge and how to identify those grudges and how to have the freedom from those grudges. Uh, some of the steps are a little easier than others and some of the steps are extremely hardcore. And as we've been talking about, it's just not a switch you can throw and release some of the things that have happened to you, some of the bitterness that uh, you hold in your heart. But as we even talked about it last week, when bitterness fills our hearts, there's less room for Jesus to do his work in our life. It doesn't mean that he's not there, but it just crowds him out, and we get distracted, and we get consumed. And uh, in a sense, we're on fire when it comes to these areas of bitterness that uh, are grudges. And we've seen the last few weeks that it is possible it is possible with some work and some direction to instead of being bitter, you and I can get better. better. <laughs> and uh, that is a fantastic thing. Uh, we just sang a song about talking about the blood of Jesus and how it cleanses us. And we don't have time to get into all the details of that. But if those kinds of ideas are new to you and you go, what's all that about? I'd encourage you to be here on a first Sunday of the month, whereas usually when we celebrate communion and we talk a little bit about what all that means, that Christ gave his life, gave his body and his blood as the perfect sacrifice so that we could have a relationship with God. So when we're talking about that, that's what we're referencing when we're singing about that. So just uh, take mind of that. So, so far as we've uh, looked at this idea of grudges and looked at the areas that it affects, uh, one of the things that uh, we're going to find out that is really tough is that when life is just happening around us, when, when life is happening and it's heavy and it's hurtful and sometimes we can identify, oh, that person caused that or this person caused this, or maybe we're at a place where we really can't figure out where this is all coming from, and then we check it up to not a person, but the circumstances, the world we live in, uh, we find that all of a sudden we're in this relationship or in this, this thinking of, that who do I, in a sense, blame for this? And Because you know, mayhem happens in our lives. And uh, no matter who you are, these kinds of things happen. And I don't know if you've ever been feeling like uh, this guy was active in your life. I'm your blind spot. And my job is easy. Hide big things. You're good. I'm a wild deer. And I'm out here eating leaves and whatnot when I come across this road. And I'm like, what is this thing? That's when you come around the bend and I freeze in your headlights, because that's what we deer do. If you've got cut rate insurance, you can be on dryer lint. I might smell like a spring breeze. I'll burn your house down. I'm your dog, holding down the fort while you're out catching a movie. Lucky for me, your friend showed up with this awesome bone. Hey! You guys are great. And if you've got your home insurance, or you got your cut-rate car insurance, it might not replace all... I'm a filthy rich executive. I hear the market's down a million points. I freak out. I spill my large espresso. The searing pain makes me slam on the brakes. Uh-oh, your fault. And your cut-rate insurance may not cover my $90,000 car, so I sue you, because that's what I do. You. 
I'm a teenage girl. My BFF Becky texts and says she's kissed Johnny. Well, that's a problem, because I like Johnny. Now, I'm emotionally compromised and whoopsies. I'm a, I'm a raccoon. And this time in your attic has been the best week of my raccoon life. I'm digging, I'm nesting in this fluffy stuff. I've already had like four babies. I'm the smartest raccoon I know. And if you got your home insurance where you got your cut rate car insurance, you could be paying for this yourself. <laughs> Mayhem happens. I tell you, th that was hard work uh, coming up with those commercials, you know. I think I had like 10, 15, 20 minutes of that, and I had to narrow it down, struggled. This is what your pastor does during the week, trying to figure out. And uh, I actually have some more, so just one more time. And now for the rings. Gonna get married Go into the chapel and we're I'm a four-year-old ring bearer with a bad habit of swallowing stuff. I still won't eat my broccoli, though. I'm a tin can tied to your bumper because I don't think enough people heard about your big day. But nothing says we got married like a 12-ounce piece of scrap metal. Yo! We got married! Hulk, if you like joint assets. Now you're so busy soaking up all the attention, you don't see the car in front of you. And if I can crash your perfect day, imagine what I could do to the rest of them. I'm a random windstorm. Shaky. Shaky, shaky, shaky. <laughs> shaky, shaky. I'm your phone. Actually Cindy. Stuck down here between your seat and your console? <laughs> Playing a little hide and seek. Cold? Warmer? Warmer? Up boiling. Jackpot. Mommy! Mommy, 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 mommy! 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 Mayhem is everywhere. And there's a point where we equate mayhem not to a specific person, but actually to a specific person, the one who's in control of everything. And we get to the place where we attribute the mayhem that we're experiencing to God. And we see the things that are going on in our life, and we understand that he's in control of everything, at least we think he's in control of everything. We sometimes hedge that a little bit because we don't want to, in a sense, have to bail him out when it comes to talking to somebody else who's going through some mayhem. But deep down, as a Christ follower, we believe that he's in control of everything. Yet what do we do when mayhem is all around us and our hearts drift to, God, why are you allowing this in my life? And it's easy to start to have a grudge. And it's going to sound very blasphemous, but uh, there's a process to letting it go, and we might even say it feels like forgiving him. But the reality is we can't forgive God because God doesn't need forgiveness. God doesn't sin. He's holy. But as we try to take our human feelings and what's happening in our lives... And again, we can't target on a certain person to get angry about. We get angry with him. And probably 
all of us have some situations we've been through, we may even be going through, and really, it's in God's hands. So how do we navigate that? How do we stop holding it against him in such a way that we have a grudge or a bitterness towards him? There's a lot of examples of this, and uh, this week in my personal readings, I came across Ruth, and we're going to look at more at Hannah, uh, but Naomi, and uh, there's this verse, and some of us have been there, some of us have felt this way, and, and here's the verse, but she said, don't call me Naomi, call me bitter, the strong one, God, has dealt me a bitter blow, I left here full of life, and has God has brought me back with nothing but the clothes on my back. Why would you call me Naomi? Certainly, God doesn't. The strong one ruined me. And as we look at that idea of Naomi and bitterness and all the tension that, that goes along with that, all the understanding of what it really means to see that grief, see that depression. Um, Naomi means sweetness or pleasantness, but that is not Naomi's experience. She's bitter. For those of us who are familiar with the story, there's a famine and they leave Israel and go to another place. Moab, and as they go there, they establish their home because there was no food where they lived. Uh, sons, sons find wives, and somewhere in the process there, husband passes away, husband's uh, sons pass away, and Naomi decides it's time to go back home. And as she's making her way back home, one of the daughter-in-laws says uh, they are all going with it. One of the daughter-in-law, she really releases, she actually releases both, but uh, Ruth stays with her and goes into the situation. And as she's arriving and people say, it's Naomi, yay! She's saying, you know, sweetness and pleasantness doesn't have anything to do with my life. The strong one, and it's interesting, that strong one, God is the word that conveys provider, so the provider, the one that fills my life, has ruined me, has taken everything away. And if we're really genuine with ourselves, honest with ourselves, there are moments where we feel like Naomi. Mayhem all around us. Of course, those were all in property loss kinds of things. But there's so much more that we can experience loss. Loved ones. Uh, emotional loss, relational loss, uh, physical loss, all these kinds of things, and uh, they weigh us down. And Naomi is a, is, a, is a ruined person because her God has ruined her, and that's what she feels. So in that situation, the answer would be for her to have peace with God, she needs to forgive God. But again, we know that that doesn't work. The God we know is holy. And so how do we process through that? How do we uh, limit our bitterness towards God? How, how do we stop having grudges towards him when mayhem in its different forms uh, comes into our lives? So where does these ideas, where does holding a grudge against God come from? Why do we get angry with him when, again, we can't 
put the blame on somebody else. And we can even take that if we put the blame on somebody else. It's still God kind of controlled the strings behind that. So, so it still can get on his plate. But when there's no one's plate to put it on but God's, how do we, how do, we do that? What happens? Uh, first of all, we can blame him for human tragedy. I know uh, a few years ago, now it's been a few, few years ago, remember that tsunami that hit, uh, you know, the southern Pacific Asian countries and uh, Indian Ocean, I believe, and all that, and, and the hundreds of thousands of people that lost their lives. And people would say, where is God? Uh, if there is a God, this definitely should be on his desk of, of correcting. A little closer, we could look at uh, COVID and uh, the loss of life. Uh, people that have uh, been dear to us. Uh, not too many in our area, but we, we can come up with some names that uh, COVID kind of uh, pushed them over to the edge. And then there are those situations where we hear of young people, not tons of examples, but examples. Uh, a friend of mine who pastors in Erie, Pennsylvania, talks about a, a well uh, physical, uh, you know, health nut friend that lived next door, a surgeon, 45, gets COVID, and... Uh, it uh, ends up in a, in a coma for two to three weeks, ends up having to have both lungs transplanted. Not that often, but there are those. So, so, so what, do, what do we do with all this tragedy? How do we uh, process through it? Uh, this is just one of those places. Uh, there was even a situation where Jesus was talking about an event that happened. Speaking of current events, you've all heard about the, the 18 people killed in that building accident when the tower of Siloam fell were there extraordinary bad people worse than everybody else in Jerusalem or that they would deserve such an untimely death just the idea of those things happen what do you do with that how do you stop letting those kinds of tragedies uh, even though it's been some years now some of us can think of 9-11 depending on where you fell out on that you can know maybe somebody or somebody that had a family member that lost their life or everything was changed uh, because of that. Also, uh, we can resent him for losing a loved one. Life taken way too early. And there are no satisfying answers to that. There's not some Bible verse you can just, in a sense, swallow and go, woo, I feel great about that. But if we're not careful, when we lose somebody that we love, it can create bitterness and a grudge. I've, I've met people that have, have given up. Um, you may not be aware of this. I hope I get this right. But uh, if you're familiar with Ted Turner, uh, Ted Turner grew up in a Christian home. I can't remember which brother it was, but one of his brothers died of cancer, I think, as, a, as like a, a teenager. And in that moment, couldn't reconcile that and turned his back on everything to do with faith that he had grown up with. Um, tragedy, yes. So sometimes you and I can get stuck in that. And we know we're not supposed to, as Christians, feel that way, but we feel that way. And there are those that just back totally off. They may even go through all the motions that a Christian's supposed to go through, but their heart is no longer in it because of that. Ecclesiastes, when we went through this study a, a, maybe a year and a half ago, sometimes something useless happens on the earth. 
Bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people. Just expressing that tension and that ability to become, have a grudge because of it. Also, we can fault him for physical limitations. And those of us who are getting a little bit older, all of a sudden there are new ones on the horizon. And then we see somebody that doesn't have any physical limitations that's older than us. And we can be a little bothered by that. We accept one, and then another one comes. And another one comes. And uh, now we have one of those little pill bottle things where Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, amen, you know, you know, and you're like trying to keep it all straight. I lucked out and uh, ordered my medicine now through Amazon. They have this pill pack roll, and it pulls them out, tells me the day and the time and all that stuff, because I can't remember. I used to pick on my parents for, like, lining up all these pills and vitamins. Uh, it does it for me. We can fault them for those physical limitations. Uh, 2015 was a bad year for me. Some of you recall, fell, broke my back, airlifted, up to strong, very fortunate that I can walk and talk and all those kinds of things. But the reality is my back hurts every single morning. And every single morning I get up and take medicine to dull the pain. And uh, it's a painkiller medicine, so I have Cindy keep them and she divvies them out so I don't take too many. Because there are days where my back is bothering me so much I'd like extra. And many of you are going through the same thing. That same year for me, then I all of a sudden came down with a blood disease. They would call it cancer, but it's treatable. So I have to take this chemotherapy every morning, and it makes me a little more tired than I would like to be. But that's the deal. So you see, there are things where we can hold a grudge. I talked with uh, Tim Williamson about going, doing one more time, hiking up Mount Washington. Done it probably a dozen times. And some of the point that keeps me back from doing that, I'm not sure how that will go if I do it again. You all know these things. But if we're not careful, these physical limitations, whether it's for us or someone we need to take care of, someone we love, if we're not careful, we go, why? And it can create uh, just a little bit of a grudge, a little bit of bitterness. Even Paul struggled with something like this. We're not given exactly what it is. This translation marks it as a physical ailment. Some people thought it was his sight, but I think there's a beauty to it by not putting what it is in there. So we can't say, oh, he had that, but I have this. That might be true for this, but it's not true for that. Great, great move. The Holy Spirit led him to write it this way. I was given a painful physical ailment, which acts as Satan's messenger to beat me and keep me from being proud. Three times I prayed to the Lord and thus, and this, and asked him to take it away. And his answer was no. And I don't think these were three little, like, on-the-fly prayers. I'm guessing he hunkered down and spent some time praying. Paul writes most of the New Testament for us, and yet God says no to him. And we really quickly rush to the next little passage. It talks about, but his grace is sufficient for me. But we ought to wallow in seven and eight a little bit. Grace sufficient for me rolls off our tongues. It ought to roll off our tongues, but it's not as easy as it just rolls off our tongues. 
There's some grief with that. And then, of course, we can begrudge him for almost anything. You fill in the blank. Maybe there's something that you really think that uh, you, I don't want to say deserve, but it's just you should have. Uh, some of us, uh, it took a little while to have kids. And at first that was great, and then it wasn't so great. And we begrudge God for that. I remember when um, Cindy and I were at that stage, and uh, we were ready, and we thought we were ready, and Cindy's expecting, and she has a miscarriage. And then the younger guy who works at the church with us, he's the youth pastor, I was the senior pastor, uh, announces within a few months that he and his wife were expecting. And, and that kind of bugged me a little bit. Seemed a little unfair. Why? They would have a baby, and we wouldn't have a baby, and we were older. It's our turn. Very easy. You can fill in the blank. Maybe it's a job thing. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago, we had uh, Denny Landis up here and just talked about some of the heartaches that he experienced. And uh, you can fill in the blanks, and all of a sudden, they, they captivate you and, and take you over. We have to rely on things like this that don't really feel good. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. When it comes to all these things that we could become bitter about and hold him accountable and say, God, I, I guess i got to forgive you because of what you're doing or not doing in my life. And again, we know that that's not right because God doesn't sin. But the things revealed to us and to our children forever that we may follow them. So secret things belong to God and the revealed things belong to us. In other words, do what you know, but there are some things you're just not going to know, and you, you fly blind, if you will, in some of these areas. A lot of times when people get into this situation and they're uh, trying to come alongside you and help you and make you feel better, you know, they throw out this verse, which kind of sometimes is offensive to me when I'm going through a hard time, even though I know it's true. We're confident that God is able to orchestrate everything to work towards something good and beautiful when we love him and accept his invitation to live according to his plan. People, well-meaning, put that verse out there and say, uh, there's something good that's going to come out of this. And quite honestly, I think, what are you, crazy? There's nothing good coming out of this. I, you know, I'm going to have to pretend that something good came out of this. I've got to have God's back because he doesn't have my back, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fake it. Oh, yeah, yeah, something good. And deep down inside, ugh. So what do we do with this? How do we navigate? Saw this on Facebook this week. Some of you guys were posting this around. I thought this was good. Came connected with that verse. Accidents happen, but nothing happens by accidents or accident. And uh, that is true. And there's a right time for that. There's a time that I, I don't want to hear that when something happens. When I'm laying in the hospital bed and they got me in this uh, thing so I can't move because of my back. Someone, no one did this, thankfully, but said, well, God, you know, accidents happen, but nothing happens by accident. <laughs> you know, uh, oh, thank you. I can't move up, get up to hit you. Okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, it's true. There's timing for these things. But as a Christ follower, talked about being all in, we, we, we believe that. The rub comes to, to living that out. 
And we're thinking about grudges. What a, what, a, what, a, what a sad way to go through life to always be maintaining a low-grade fever of grudge. Doesn't have to be that way. Don't have to live that way. It doesn't, again, mean you throw a switch, but we don't have to live that way. Then we get to the story of uh, Hannah and uh, her story. And uh, I'm going to tell you a story, and then we'll bounce through some of the scriptures for time's sake. But uh, Hannah, you know, she's married. She's uh, the first wife. And uh, uh, soon after he, she's married, and they're very faithful people. They go do the, the, the celebration when they're supposed to. They go to where the tabernacle is. They do all these things. And... Uh, uh, she, she just doesn't get pregnant. And uh, her husband's name actually means give me a son or I am going to have a son. So, so every time she says his name, <laughs> she's actually saying give me a son like uh, uh, Naomi wanted to be called bitter. So everyone, they say, hey, bitter, you know, but uh, her, his name was that and, and, and nothing was happening in the kid department. So he marries a second wife and that was kind of an acceptable thing to do. And uh, she seems to have kids, like, left and right. And it just creates a distance. And, God, why, why aren't you doing that for me? And, uh, and she's actually not, not very nice because she really, really taunts, um, taunts Hannah. And we see this in verses 6 and 7. So, uh, Penane would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. I mean, they were already in there. The Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same thing. Penene would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Stunk to be Hannah. Stunk to be dealing with she was, and she could see that it was God was in the mix of this. And her husband wanting to have kids, because that was a big deal, a son especially, to carry on the family legacy and all of that, uh, marry someone else. And uh, again, we, we can't fathom that. Uh, some of us, oh, two wives. No, that would not be a good thing. Not be a good thing. You can see that all the way through Scripture. It's never a good thing. It always creates tension. Always creates stress. And then, you know, men ask stupid questions at times. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkahan said, would ask, why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted? Just because you have no children, you have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? Boom, boom, boom. I hate to say it, us men can ask stupid questions, say stupid things. I was going to tell you a story, and my girl said, don't you tell that story. Don't you tell that story. I'm so tempted to tell the story. They said, don't you tell it. I said, that's a, that, no, that's, that's, that's bad. Why would you tell a foolish story like that? And it, to you, going, what is the story? I didn't think it was anything big deal, but it is a big deal. That's a man thing. So even after a few years being married, it still can happen. So what's the answer? How do we navigate this? How do we keep holding grudges against God at bay? How do we not become bitter towards him? 
this idea of determined to be reconciled with God. And some of you may say, well, I'm a Christ follower. I've said, yes, I'm reconciled with God. But this whole idea of forgiveness, this whole idea of continuing on a relationship with him, yes, when you've said yes to Christ, we say that your actions cannot undo your relationship with him. Sometimes it looks like they do, and maybe we're going to say that that person really had never said yes to Christ. But this reconciliation kind of happens all the time. It happens sometimes between Cindy and I. It's always my fault. I was wrong. You were right. We're married. It doesn't undo our marriage. It's like, no, you're not married, but there's these things, you know, happen. And oh, I, I did one of those man questions, and you think it's funny, and no one's laughing. That's why I'm happy we're starting to get son-in-laws, because maybe they'll be other side. But anyway... Uh, no one's laughing, but I've got to be reconciled. got to get it right, said it right. The same thing can happen with our relationship with God. Uh, be reconciled to God. Become friends with God. He's always friends with you. We beg you to be at peace with God. And most of the time when we read these verses, this is talking about becoming a new creation in Christ. This is coming to that initial reconciliation. But there's also this idea that you and I need to continue to be reconciled to God. We need to continue to be repenting people, converting people. Sometimes you hear somebody who's established a relationship with God. They've said yes, and they say, he's converted now. Well, we should be converting. Converted, yes. Cross the line of faith. Connect yourself with God by accepting his free gift. But then the change really starts to take place. And we continue to change and grow. We continue to be converting. We should be a people of repentance. We don't repent once. We're always repenting as we are growing. So we need to break the barrier of silence when it comes to uh, talking with God about this. Hannah does that marvelously. Hannah unloads on God. Hannah shares her feelings. We could look at David from the Old Testament. We could look at Jeremiah from the Old Testament. We could look at Jesus before he's going to the cross. He says, this doesn't feel good. I'm crying my soul out. Hannah does this. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest, this was the big priest, the head priest, was sitting at his customary place besides the entrance to the tabernacle. Hannah was in a deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. Later on, we find that Eli thought she was drunk because she wasn't crying out loud. She was just into herself, just crying bitterly before the Lord. She is unloading. She's sharing her feelings. She's not holding anything back. There is lots of room for us to do that. You see, because God understands your pain. He wants you to identify it. He wants you to say, yes, this is where I'm at. I'm not playing games with you. This is the way I feel. Sometimes I'm reading a psalm, and it's so uh, in God's face to some degree. Why have you left me? Why are you not, you know, just accusatory in a sense? 
But God understands our pain. We can look in Hebrews and Jesus, our high priest, understands. He's been through all that we've been through, but has not sinned. Isn't that wonderful? He gets it. He feels it. He's our mediator. He welcomes our questions. This is key for any family relationship. Families, welcome the questions of your kids. They ought to be respectful, but welcome the questions. They're going to ask those questions somewhere else. Or they're just going to come up with the answer on their own. Churches, we're we're a church where we want you to respectfully, kindly, don't make me cry, ask me questions. If something doesn't seem right, smell right, look right to you, ask questions. It's amazing. Sometimes it's because there's a piece that you don't know, and sometimes we're missing something. We're the body of Christ. That happens. Please, respectfully, questions are okay. God welcomes our questions. God would rather have you cry out to him than walk away. Same thing goes with churches. Same thing goes with families. Are you a family where you would rather have someone in your family cry out to you than walk away? Same thing with church families. The same way with God being our heavenly father. God would rather have you cry out to him than walk away. And again, there's plenty of examples of that. Even Paul crying out to him with three prayer times about his thorn in the flesh. Interesting. They continue on. The entire family gets up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. This was the rhythm of their life. Hannah didn't let that bitterness stop her. She didn't let it upset the family. Continues to move on. I love this verse that talks about how when I'm at the end of myself, when I can't even utter words, the Holy Spirit who joins our lives becomes a part of our life. When we say yes to Christ, the Holy Spirit actually will do the praying for me when I have a sigh and a groan and an ache and I can't even get the words out. He puts those into words and ushers them into the presence of God on my behalf, on our behalf. That's a wonderful thing. Also, we need to break down the barrier of resentment. We need to work hard to do that. Breaking down the barrier of resentment is remembering what life is really about. What these disappointments are really about. In Hebrews, we read, be relaxed with what you have. Since God assures us, I'll never let you down, never walk off and leave you, we can Go, we can boldly quote, God is there, ready to help. I'm fearless no matter what, who, or what can get to me. The idea here is that his presence is more of an answer than the answer to our need or our perceived need. You're crying out to him, you're grieving about something, it stinks. I'd like to use other language describing it. What do you do with it? You realize that he is present. 
His answer is the presence more than the answer. That's why waiting, a waiting season, isn't a wasted season if you're waiting on the Lord, if you're waiting with the Lord. If you're waiting separate from the Lord, if you've walked away, that's not going to be helpful. But if you want this resentment to change, you wait with him. And it's sometimes the waiting is a long time. Cindy and I decided maybe around five years that we wanted kids. We didn't get our kids, our twins, until eight years later. Or no, five, a total of eight years. And, uh, you know, even when, when we found out that we were getting twins, you know, people just don't know how to handle things. They knew we had, uh, had a miscarriage earlier. They, you know, well-meaning people would come up to us and say, well, this is making up for the one you lost. And I was like, well, not really, <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> I, I get the intent, you know, you know, I get that, but, uh, you know, that would, but the waiting wasn't wasted. God was doing some things in us. I used to joke to my parents when they would want to think about grandkids and all of that kind. I said, we're ready to have kids. It's just that you're not ready to be grandparents. Once you get your behavior better, once you learn how to be less selfish, then we'll have. <laughs> and that's why we wait. We should have waited 20 years. But anyway. An... Then also there's the breaking down the barrier of remembering. You know, we talk about forgiveness is forget, not forgetting, but not holding it against that person. And when we put whatever the hurt is in the Lord's hands, and it's something that really hurt, there are moments where it comes back on the radar. We, we remember. And, and, and it hurts again. And it's not that, again... Theologically, we don't forgive God, but we've got to let it go in faith and trust. But we need to deal with the remembering. And the remembering can come in waves. And then sometimes we have to regroup and we have to hunker down and we cry out to the Lord once more that that hurt, that bitterness is starting to rise up. It's starting to feel, fill my heart again. So we want to ask him to, to help us with that as we cry out to him. That's the idea of, uh, you know, forgiving what you can't forget. And again, I've been pretty clear we're not forgiving God, but the idea of letting it go. And there are times where we've just got to let it go, even though we can't forget. It isn't something that, uh, that uh, you... Um, haven't tried to release, but some, sometimes if it's a physical thing, you wake up it, to it every day. If it's someone missing from your life, every special holiday, it's there again, whatever it may be. And we have to work hard at breaking down the barrier of remembering. We forgive what we can't forget. If on some point you think differently, that's too, that too God will make clear to you. For now, let's hold on to what has been shown to us and keep in step with these teachings. Almost reflects what Moses said. You know, there's things that God knows, there's things that you know. You deal with the things you know. When it comes to the mystery of hurt, you, you, you let it go. You work on forgetting and not holding it. 
You need to realize that God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. God's delays are not necessarily God's, uh, quote-unquote, rejection of you. Some of it's life. Some of it he allows. Some of it does some kind of mysterious work in our life, and, and, and I don't know why, and I don't get it, and I don't like it, but there's nothing I can do about it. So I need to, need to lean away from him or lean into him with faith and trust. So as we try to put this all together, God doesn't always come through with the answer, the answer that we want. But he always comes through with himself. You see, he's the answer to life. He's the answer to our eternal life. He's the answer to our next chapter of life. And he is the answer to our current life, this chapter of life. So I can guarantee you, no matter what you're wrestling with, and I may completely not understand it because I haven't been there, but I can guarantee you when he doesn't give you the answer that you want that I want, he always comes through with himself. And that is actually what is so marvelous about thinking about heaven, thinking about new heavens and new earth, is because in that place, we will have him, in a sense, fully, uninterrupted, no cracks, no breaks in that relationship. You see, he is the answer to all. Would you please pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for... The fact that you're patient with us, that you work with us, that when we don't have a good attitude towards you because things, mayhem has shown up in many ways, that you still work with us. When we get angry and say things that were really maybe disrespectful, when we're, when we're just upset with you, you can accept our questions. You welcome them. And we're thankful that even when we can't have the answer that we want that we have you. And we're thankful that you are the answer to it all. You fill the gaps in of our heart. You fill the holes. You fill the things that have been ripped out of our life, taken from our life, never ever put into our life. You are the one that fills us. Father, I ask for my friends here that whatever their hurt, whatever their potential grudge that's working its way in their heart towards you, that they would be able to lean in, that they would be able to see that you're present and that grudge wouldn't encompass their whole being and attitude of life. Give them that freedom that only comes through your son. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.